Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Oh, all right. We what do we have for announcements? We've got the um, the Christmas um, Samaritan Samaritan's purse. You guys know about that, right? We got the boxes out there and the tickets and the tags. <clears throat> it's a way for us to bless kids all over the world uh, this holiday season. So, uh, very much encourage you guys, each of you, to take one of those and fill that thing up with all sorts of fantastic, wonderful toys. I can't wait to go shopping myself. Only me. I know just what to get. <laughs> I remember when I was an um, apprentice and we were doing a job. It was a night job and it was at a Kmart. Remember those? And uh, we were doing a job at a Kmart. And we had to run like 100 miles of six inch pipe. And um, my, my poor foreman, you know, from time to time, he would he'd be like, where did he go? You know what I mean? And there's no one there. He couldn't ask anybody. And, and he wandered around looking for me, and he found me, and I was in the toy aisle. I was looking, I got mesmerized by the toys. Yes, 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 a man child. Uh, let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that you've gathered us here together this morning, Father, to worship your holy name, to praise you, to sing songs of thanksgiving and gladness, Lord, to lift up and glorify the great and mighty and awesome name of our King. Uh, Lord, and then to study this word together, collectively, Father, with your spirit present so that we might know you, uh, Father, the power of your love, the hope of the resurrection, Lord, and even the fellowship of your sufferings, Father. We pray that we would be completely surrendered to you, to your heart, and to your word today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, Mike Baird, <clears throat> this is your shirt. Okay, now, what had happened was... This was, this was dry cleaned, it was pressed, it was hung up in a bag, and it's been like that for months. I've been meaning to bring it to you, but if you could only be a fly on the wall in Frank Thomas's bedroom in the fatter times when I'm trying to put on shirts on a Sunday morning, because I'm a t-shirt guy, and typically I wear t-shirts, every once in a while I'll say, hey, I'm going to put on a button-up shirt tonight. I wanted to wear the flannel one, but I wore that one last night when we went out to dinner, so I didn't want you guys to be disgusted, and I didn't want to smell like the Copper Top restaurant at church today to distract myself, so I'm in there and I'm trying on church, church and it's like each one is like, oh no, <laughs> this one's a little snug. And meanwhile, my wife is just laying in the bed laughing and laughing and laughing. What do you want to do, honey? Do you want to do no carbs this week, she's saying? You wanna, what do you, which diet do you want to go on? And finally, I got down. This was like, this was like you know how you got to break the glass to set off the alarm or break the glass to get the defibrillator out? You know what I mean? This is what this shirt was today. I had to rip the plastic. This was my last hope. Okay. A little confession is good for the soul. Uh, we are in, of course, the book of Deuteronomy, <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 3, and we are picking up in verse 12, Deuteronomy chapter 3 and starting with verse 12. And of course, uh, continuing, continuing, continuing the conquest of Canaan as God brings the children of Israel into the promised land. Now, it's good for us to historically understand and to know what God did with the children of Israel, the great plan that he had for them. It's interesting and it's, it's fascinating and it is so useful for us to understand in our heads and in our hearts the timeline of the Bible. There's a framework that's there. Uh, I'll quiz my kids often, and, and we'll go from, from Genesis. What's the first thing in the Bible? What's the first big event? The fall of man. All right, what's the next big event? And we'll go through, because I think it's important to have that framework. 
built up in understanding the scriptures to know it. You can build the, when you build a house, what do you build first? The found, well, that's true. But then the frame, right? And the foundation. Okay, right. The, founda- the foundation is Jesus Christ. Good point, Pop. That's why he's the preacher here. Uh, and then you have the framework, okay? And the framework holds everything else together. Everything else together. So to have a great and working understanding of the framework of the, of the Holy Bible, of the Scripture, is very useful. Uh, it's a great aid in understanding it because then you can build your understanding from that point inward, right? On the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's a great point that I hadn't even thought of this morning. So <clears throat> the framework of the Scripture is so useful, and it's great for us to study and understand what God had done, starting with Adam and Eve in the garden, that promise that he made, that promise that he made that I'm going to put enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman, and you'll bruise his heel, but he's going to break your head, I like to say. That's my version, Frank Thomas. He's going to break your head. Uh, He's going to bruise your head or crush your head, he said to the serpent. And from that point forward, we have God dealing with the world through the judgment of Noah, and then we get to Abraham. That's when all of these great and awesome promises begin to be delivered out to the first man called by God and his faith and belief in God exercised and established through faith, right? Abraham is called the father of those who believe. And we used to sing it in Sunday school, Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons said, Father Abraham, you anybody? And I am one of these, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Right hand, left hand, you know. And we, so we learned as little kids in Sunday school. That's why we had Sunday school, more's the pity. We probably should do that again at some point. But Abraham is the father of those who believe. God said, I'm going to make a great nation and a multitude of peoples out of you from your loins and through your seed All of the world is going to be blessed. Of course, prophesying from that, at that point in time, at that moment, that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, was going to come through the lineage of Abraham. And then subsequently after that, we have the the Abraham's son Isaac and Jacob, and then his sons, they go into Egypt. Uh, Joseph becomes the right hand of Pharaoh. After he dies, they're put into slavery. They're crying. All of these historical events all moving towards that same end that God had promised back in Genesis. The prophetic word of God and the fact and the knowledge and the understanding that what God has said, he will establish and he will accomplish. That's it. End of story. Goodbye. The end. Right? We can get all fearful and we can lose focus and we can get freaked out like Peter walking on the water and seeing the wind and seeing the waves and the fear in the other people's eyes rather than being fixed and focused on the face of Jesus Christ. And we can all of us begin to sink. But we have to always remember, always remember the things that God has promised he will Not might, not may, not maybe if he doesn't change his mind. No, the things that he has promised, he will bring to pass, period. And the promises that we see God fulfill through the nation of Israel as they're brought from bondage to Mount Sinai through the wilderness to the promised land, back into the wilderness, then to the promised land again, and finally over the Jordan into Canaan are for us an encouraging history of God's fulfilled promises and the blessings that he promises for those who will call upon his name and believe in his word. And so it is a celebration as we read through the Old Testament for two reasons. First off, we see God's word established and then God's word fulfilled. And we live in the time and the day and an age when we've seen it all the way through to Jesus Christ coming 
dying on the cross, being buried, and on the third day, rising again, and some 40 days later, ascending into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, where the scripture says he lives forever to make intercession on your behalf. That's the day and age that we live in. And if the children of Israel were expected by God to not lose hope and not to be fearful because of the giants that they saw in the land and the fortified cities and the strong and high walls, then how much less you and I ought to be fearful in the day and age that we live in and be dismayed and discouraged and become angry as the world does who have no hope. But we have seen God establish his promises, set them up, bring them to pass time and time again. And we know, I always say to people, look, if this much of the Bible, God said and it came true, guess what I think about this part? Guess what I think about this part? It's all going to come to pass. It's all going to happen. And we, as we read through the history, oh, somehow I'm in Hebrews now. So as we three read through the history of the children of Israel, both the highs and the lows, both the, both the times of their victories and the times of their defeat, both, both militarily and spiritually, it is for us a continued reaffirmment, reestablishment of the promises of God and the truths of God's word. And we ought to have our faith bolstered and our hearts ought to be filled with strength and, and the power of love and faith. And it ought to be coursing through our veins and flowing out. In our... But then there's the reality of life, isn't there? There's the reality of life. And this is one of the reasons that we have church on Sundays and a midweek Bible study as well, because we constantly need a recharge. We constantly need to be reminded and brought back. Isn't it amazing to you? For me, when I read through the Old Testament and I read through all of the stories of, of whether it's Abraham or the nation of Israel or the time of the judges and the time of the kings, how I can see so much of myself how I can see so much of myself, sometimes in the victories that you see written there and oftentimes in the defeats, in the losing of focus, in the losing of faith, in the losing of heart, in the becoming distracted by the world and the system that is around us and being come consumed by it rather than being consumed by the Spirit and the love of God. But that same calling, that same calling that God had for the nation of Israel and the expectation that they would heed his word, that they would believe his word, and that they would act out in faith according to his word, the same thing applies to us, guys. The same thing applies to us. And how much more ought we to be victorious because of the risen Savior and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Remember, Dave Hunt used to get annoyed. Don't sing that song, Take Not Thy Holy Spirit from Me, he used to say. And he'd be like, well, we like that song. No, don't sing that. God's not going to take his Holy Spirit from you. This ain't the Old Testament. Jesus came and he died for your sins. It wasn't like the Old Testament where God's Holy Spirit would come upon Samson or come upon Gideon or come upon this one or that one, and, and then at other times they'd just be them on their own. No, no, we, because of Jesus Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and the promises that he made that the Holy Spirit would come, and then, in fact, that did come on the day of Pentecost, we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us at all times at all times. And there's this sense that at any time, at any point that you want to, as a child of God, you can access that Holy Spirit, the power of that Holy Spirit, and immediately begin to live a victorious life. We choose not to. That's the bottom line. That's the end of the story. We choose not to because life.
because life. And not just the bad stuff, the good stuff, right? That's what gets me thrown off the rails more than the bad stuff. It's the good stuff. It's the blessings in my life, the phenomenal ways that God has blessed me. I am so wealthy. I'm so rich in my life and in my relationships. And I'm so happy with what God has given me that I oftentimes become consumed by it. Don't ever, ever forget the moment in Abraham's life when he would look on that boy that God had promised him and that God had made so many promises concerning and that when he would look upon that boy and he would see all of his love and all of his devotion and his entire heart, his hopes and his dreams wrapped up in that boy and God seeing that had the need to say to Abraham, I want you now to take your son, your only son whom you love, to a place where I will show you and there offer him up as a burnt offering to me. And we find this amazing truth and this fantastic faith in Abraham that yes, Isaac was the apple of his eye and Isaac was the embodiment of all his hopes and dreams and it was everything that he loved in this world and it was greater than any love he had except for his love for God. Except for his love for God. So that when God would say, take all your hopes and all your dreams and the greatest blessing to a place where I'll show you and offer it to me as a burnt offering, Abraham didn't hesitate. And God accounted it to him as righteousness. And God accounted it to him his faith, his belief. He asked the same thing of us. And we can do it through the power of the Spirit. Okay, we are in Deuteronomy. Let's get to the actual scriptures here. Deuteronomy chapter 3 starting with verse 12. Now, we just came through the victory against Og, the king of Bashan, one of the last giants, one of these descendants of the Nephilim. We talked about that in Genesis chapter 6. And God's given them this great victory over Og, the king of Bashan. And verse 12 begins, And this land, which we possessed at that time, from Aror, which is by the river Arnon, and half the mountains of Gilead and its cities, I gave to the Reubenites and the Gadites. The rest of Gilead... And all Bashan, the kingdom of Og, I gave to half the tribe of Manasseh, all the region of Argob with all Bashan, who was called the land of the giants. Jair, the son of Manasseh, took all the region of Argob, as far as the border of the Jeshurites and the Maacathites, and called Bashan after his own name, Habath Jair, Jair, whatever, to this, to this day. Also, I gave Gilead to Machir, and to the Reubenites and the Gadites, I gave from Gilead, as far as the river Arnon, <clears throat> the middle of the river as the border, as far as the river Jabbok, the border of the people of Ammon. The plain also with the Jordan as the border, from Shinnereth, <clears throat> as far as the east side of the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, or we would call it the Dead Sea, below the slopes of Pisgah. Now, this is Moses distributing the land to Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now, many, some weeks ago, remember, we covered this portion where they, as they were approaching the promised land, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the half-tribe, half of the half-tribe of Manasseh came to Moses, and they wanted to settle there in that land, which was on the east side of the Jordan River, okay? That was not the land 
that God had wanted them to go in and to have conquest in. God had told them to cross over the Jordan, to go into Canaan. But they saw there that the land was lush, the land was fertile, and they wanted to settle there. And Moses has this great contention with them, and he becomes angry with them because he says to them, you're going to settle here and allow your brothers and sisters to cross over the Jordan and fight all of these battles alone while you sit here and think you're going to inherit rest? <clears throat> and they say, no, 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 we wouldn't dream of doing that, Moses. And the sincerity is unknown. But they say, we wouldn't dream of doing that. What we're going to do is we're going to get a little bit settled, get our livestock set up here and our women and our little ones, and then we will cross over the Jordan River. We will send our fighting men over the Jordan River with you when you go into the land of Canaan, and we will help with every inch of the conquest there. And not until that is done will we come back to our land. And so now this is Moses, and he's giving them, as they, as they come towards the promised land, the final time before they actually cross over, before Moses dies and Joshua takes them in, Moses is recounting to them all of these things that took place as they approach that point. <clears throat> um, he takes time to explain the divvying up of land on the east of the Jordan River to these groups, Reuben tribe, the uh, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. I think that it was a very hard thing for Moses to know that he would not take part in the dividing of the land promised by God to the people in their tribes. I think that, you know, you notice here that, that, that Moses takes the time to recount how he divvied up the land uh, to Reuben, to Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, even though that was never supposed to be the case. But he takes the time here to go through exactly how he divvied, up and divvied it up and how. And I think that to Moses, he cherished this. And I think one of the greatest pains for Moses is knowing that he was not going to be able to go into the promised land with the children of Israel and see the land divided amongst them. Later in, uh, in the same chapter, but in verses 23 to 26, Moses records his asking God again to go into the promised land, and God's response makes me think that he probably had asked a thousand times. It makes me think, because God says, um, <clears throat> oh boy, I'm sorry, verse 23, I pleaded with the Lord at that time saying, oh Lord God, you've begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand for what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do anything like your work and your mighty deeds. I pray let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, whose pleasant mountains, those pleasant mountains in Lebanon. And the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. So the Lord said to me, listen to this. Listen to how the Lord speaks. Enough of that. Speak no more to me on this matter. Don't you get the sense that Moses had probably asked him a million times? Oh, God, God, please, 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 please. And God had told Moses, <clears throat> because of his, his not representing God correctly, at the waters of Mirabah there, when he had been told to speak to the rock, and he struck the rock and said, and God says, you failed to hallow me before the people. You're not going to be able to go into the promised land. Poor Moses. And I think the thing that broke his heart, one of the things that broke his heart probably the most, was to not be able to see that the people actually take possession of that land, to see it divvied up and, div divvied up and divided, and who ended up where, and who ended up, you know, think of when we get into the book of Joshua and the accounts of Caleb taking the mountain and all these conquests, and oh, how Moses, I think, longed to see that. But this made me think of a couple of things. Don't be afraid to ask God for anything until you hear him say, stop, <laughs> Don't be afraid to ask God. And it's interesting to me, and I think it's, it's, it's something that we can take away from this portion of Scripture, that Moses had been told by God, you're not going into the promised land, and yet he continued to ask. 
He continued, and I think it was more than just Moses being annoying or persistent. I think it was Moses just letting his heart be known to God. You understand that you can trust God with who you actually are, who you really are. You don't have to go before God and say, oh, thou heavenly master, creator of heaven. You don't have to do that. It's nice. It's flowery. It sounds great. But when you go to God, you can be like, yeah, it's me. <laughs> you know, and you can tell God about all of your fears, all of your hopes, all of your failures. You can tell God about the bad stuff you want to do, but you know his word says you shouldn't do, and to please give me the strength. And you can tell God about the things you've dreamed of and the heartbreaks that you've had. You understand that that's what God wants to be to you in your life? A friend who sticks closer than a brother and he wants to, he knows it anyways, but how he wants to hear your heart poured out to him, if he tells you enough, so be it. I wonder how much of uh, Reuben, Gad, and, and Manasseh wanting to settle on the east, God used as a way to bless Moses. It's interesting to me. You know, God used works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And even though Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh were supposed to have gone over, Right? They were supposed to have gone over the Jordan River. I wonder if because of the fact that they didn't want to, that they wanted to settle there on the east, that God used that as a blessing for Moses. To say, you know, Moses, you're not going to be able to go over to the promised land. You're not going to be able to see it with your own eyes because of, the, of, of, of what you did and what I proclaimed was going to be the fact of the matter. And you're, you're going to die. You know what, Moses? I got something for you on this side. I got a blessing for you here. Go ahead and let's, you can divvy up the land to Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. That's interesting to me. Not that it excuses. This is, this is one of the interesting things, isn't it? And, and, and we can start to play games with God, and we can start to play games with the scriptures, and we can start to play games with our relationship with him as though God will use disobedience or God has some purpose for disobedience. He doesn't. You know, don't uh, misunderstand the fact that because God is is all in all, because he's the beginning and the end, because he knows the end from the beginning, because he is all-knowing and all-powerful, and that his thoughts are so beyond ours. Don't conflate that with him winking at us not doing what he's called us to do, okay? What I'm saying here is that maybe God used this as a blessing to Moses. That is not an excuse for any disobedience, okay? I want to make that abundantly clear. So after this, Moses gives the command again how these tribes must still cross over the Jordan with the rest of the people and conquer that land before they can come back and settle here permanently. He, be, he continues, verse 18, then I commanded you at that time saying, the Lord your God has given you this land to possess. All you men of valor shall cross over armed before your brethren, the children of Israel. But your wives, your little ones, and your livestock, I know that you have much livestock. And it's interesting in there in, 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 the, in the parentheses there. Is that a parenthesis? What are those called? Okay, I always, I miss them up with quotation marks in my, in my mind. Um, but it's interesting how that's there. I know that you have much livestock. And it's because remember when they had come to Moses originally and said that they wanted to stay there, they talked about how much livestock they had. And it's almost like Moses is going, I know, I know all of your livestock that you have, you know, all the livestock that you, that you need this land for because of all of your livestock. But all of your men of valor, of you men of valor, shall cross over arm before your brethren, the children of Israel, but your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall stay in your cities, which I have given you, until the Lord has given rest 
to your brethren as to you, and they also possess the land which the Lord your God is giving them beyond the Jordan. Then each of you may return to his possession, which I have given you. God also wants his people to be sincerely concerned for other people. God, I want to say that again. God also wants his people to be sincerely concerned for other people. After Moses gives this command, how these tribes must cross over the Jordan River, fight with their brothers and sisters before they come back, I think that God is making a very, a very important couple of points here. All the things commanded by God are given in part to the effect of what we do has on others. I think that all of the commands of God, in part, have to do with the effect that our obedience has on others. There is a reason that God compares us to sheep, right? There's a reason that God compares us to sheep. You may have heard the phrase before when it comes to child rearing, more is caught than taught, right? More is caught than taught. You say, let me tell you something, Johnny. If I ever catch you smoking a cigarette, I'm going to pound your head in. You know, it's so bad for... Guess what? Johnny's going to smoke. Johnny's going to smoke. You know what I mean? I can pontificate to my children all day about the good uses of eating healthy <laughs> and not eating too many treats and snacks and getting regular exercise and being healthy, you know. Don't be, don't be fat. What you don't want to do, kids, is don't be fat. Don't be fat. You know? Hand daddy is Twinkies and go hit the treadmill, you know. <clears throat> you know, there's, there's an idea there that what we do that is seen by other people is going to continue. It's going to be mimicked and it's going to spread. God wants his people, in this case, to be sincerely concerned for other people. It's interesting. The obedience that God is commanding here, you're still going to go over and you're still going to fight these battles before you're able to come back and enjoy the rest that I'm allowing you to have. You're still going to have to do these things. God's original command to, to, that all of the children of Israel needed to go into the promised land and fight these battles still needed to be obeyed. And it was as much for the rest of the tribe as it was for Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. It's interesting to me, fast-forwarding to about 700 B.C., after the conquest of Canaan, through the time of, of the judges, and into and almost, almost through the times of the kings, the prophet Isaiah has this to say to the, what we would call the church in that time. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom, Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Now, you got to understand, when God, through his prophet Isaiah, is talking to the children of Israel, to the people of God, and he refers to them as Sodom and Gomorrah, whew. I mean, there's no, that's the comparison. That is the comparison. That is the prime example given to us in Scripture, throughout the Scriptures, of an example of a life lived in complete rejection of God's law, and in wickedness and lasciviousness. So he addresses his people, you rulers of Sodom, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. 
Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. And this is one of God's greatest complaints against his people during the time of the kings leading up to the, leading up to the captivity. First and foremost, of course, was their idolatry, right? First and foremost, if you relate this to what Jesus said when the, when the man asked him, what are the, what's the greatest commandment? You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the next commandment is like the first, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. First and foremost, God's uh, rejection of his people at that time and sending them into captivity was because of idolatry. But the second thing that was right there with it is their oppression of one another, was the way that they treated people, the way that they treated those who were weaker than them, the way that they treated those who were in a position... Uh, uh, to be abused by them. And this reminds me of a couple of scriptures. James chapter 2, verses 15 to 17 says, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And James, of course, says this in that whole portion where he's talking about faith without works being dead. You want to show me your faith? I'm going to show you my faith by the works that I do. This is going back to that obedience and that our minds ought to be centered on blessing and helping other people. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Uh, you know, the day and age that we live in, everyone wants to be known. <laughs> everyone wants to have their 15 minutes of fame to be used by the, by the Lord to the effect that people will see us and know us. We need, 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 and there is a marked notion of what's in it for me in our service to God. I find this truth in my heart that's always there with me in everything that I do. And maybe it's just me. Maybe, it's, maybe I'm the only one. But always lurking in the back of my mind when I do anything for God is how is this going to be perceived in the eyes of men? Or how are people going to see this? Or how are people going to see me? Or, or what is this going to do for the ministry? Or what is it? And it's always there with me. It's always, always, always there with me. It's something that I am so aware of in my own heart and in my own life. We live in a culture, we live in a society where everybody wants to be known. You know what I mean? Have you got guys, I love the memes. Uh, the, you know, memes in general are hilarious to me, but coming up on Thanksgiving, you see the meme and it says, listen, no need to post photos of your food. We're all eating the same crap. Right? You ever seen that one? We're all eating the same crap. No needs to post all these food photos of your turkey and your mashed potatoes. Nobody cares about your turkey, your mashed potatoes, and your stuffing, right? They care about the stuff they're eating. But there's this idea that permeates our culture and our society today, and everything is... And now remember, remember, go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and what Satan in his discussion with Eve had talked about. God doesn't want you to eat of this fruit because he knows he's trying to keep you back from something... He doesn't want you to be enlightened. He doesn't want you to be like him. You're not going to die. There's this idea of self-exaltation 
that went along with the rebellion of Lucifer first, and that went right into the fall of mankind and has been with us every step of the way throughout our history. This desire that we have to exalt ourselves. And we have to remember that everything that Jesus Christ taught us is the antithesis of that notion. Everything that Jesus taught us was about self-sacrifice. Imagine the king of the universe. Imagine the creator. Imagine the son of God taking that lowly place of a servant, walking that perfect life, serving his disciples for three years, and right before he's taken, arrested, beaten, and crucified, he has dinner. He breaks bread with his disciples in order to bless them and washes their feet. And he told them, he said, remember, he said, you understand what I've done for you. And he made the statement that whoever of you would seek to be great in the kingdom of God should be the servant of all. And the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give himself as a ransom for many. It is so, so, so difficult not to put everything around in, in, the, in orbit around the me, the me, the me. That's life. All of this life is the me, is the me. And everything, including my relationship with God and how I relate to others, everything comes back to how it affects me how I'm going to be blessed by this. You know, what's in it for me in a sense? There's such a focus there. And I think that what God was trying to say here when he sent, when he told, you know, when Moses told Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, you're still going to have to go in. You have to fight with your brothers. Is that this idea and this notion exists in the mind of God and in the heart of God that there ought to be no rest for us when there's not rest for someone else. That for me to see someone else who's in pain, or for me to see someone else who's in hurt should put within my heart a, a spirit of I can't rest until I see this dealt with to the best of my ability. First um, Peter chapter 2 and verse 17, we're going to finish up with these two verses. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And, and this is what I love. The simplicity of the life that, that the apostles wanted for the believers that our lives would be lived this way. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 and 12, Paul says this, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that is, in love, and that you aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, as we commanded you that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. And so the idea here that Paul is saying is that for each of us as believers, our lives, our lives, the entire focus of who we are ought to be first and foremost to love and serve God and then to love and serve people. And as for my life, for the me, for, 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 for where Frank Thomas is involved, the desire of my heart ought to be to lead a quiet life to mind my own business, to work with my hands. In other words, to do the stuff I'm supposed to do, to just do the stuff I'm supposed to do, all the while seeking to serve other people. I love that. I love that. So we'll finish up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your, thank you for your word, Lord. We pray, Father, that you would put within us a heart of uh, servitude, Lord, towards, towards people, a, a heart of genuine love, Father, that there would be no hypocrisy in our worship, that there would be no hypocrisy in our faith, Lord, but that 
we would truly seek to have you, Lord, as the center of uh, our existence, of, of what we're all about, Lord, and that from that point, we would always be seeking to reach out and to serve other people, Lord, and we would not allow our own complacency, Lord, or our own self-interest to get in the way of that, Father. We ask and pray, Lord, that uh, you would be conforming us to the image of your beautiful son, Jesus, Lord, that we would be like him uh, in every way that we possibly can, Lord, while we dwell in the flesh, uh, Lord, so that people might see in us something different than they see everywhere else, Lord, even in, in, in the church everywhere else, uh, Lord, that we wouldn't be about this cause or that cause or uh, this thing or that thing, Father, but we would be about our Father's business and about the business of worshiping Him and of serving people, Father. And that would be truly uh, where we rest, Lord. That would be the center of who we are. Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. And we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love, Lord, that, that covers up for the multitude of our shortcomings, Father. And we pray that we would not use that as an excuse to rest on our laurels, Father, but because of that grace, uh, Lord, we would continue to fight forward, Lord, and to push into the promised land that you have for each one of us, Lord, to be conformed into the image of Jesus. Help us not to be self-seekers, Lord, but to seek after the interests of you first, Lord, and then the interests of other people, Lord. Um, so we worship you this morning, we praise you, and we thank you for all that you've done, for all that you're doing, and for all that you're going to do, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.